Stokes is onside. Wagner! Here's Sims. It's a good serve this from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long, and he has done it! Just a minute to play. That's stoppage time. Here's Letizia! Hello and welcome. Uh, you are listening to episode 87 of the Saints FC podcast and I'm welcoming back Mr. Tom Parker into the room. Tom, hello. Good evening, John. How are you? Yeah, very good. What a weekend. We beat what Manchester City. Indeed. One of the best teams in Europe, um, in the world in front of a record-breaking 5.7 million people on BBC. Pompey got knocked out of the playoffs to Oxford United on on penalties. Um, I mean, barbers are open, pubs are open. I didn't manage to go to either, but I, I think you might have managed to sneak to one or two. I mean, w- what a weekend. What, what more can you ask for, Tom? Yeah, I think Sunday was perhaps my favourite day in well, since I went to the bath of Beatrice. It was just... It was an amazing day. I had two pints outside the pub in, in Deptford, Greenwich, where I live. And then I had uh, we had a bowl of chips outside the pub. And then we went home. And, you know, mildly optimistic. I was optimistic, I think, John. You know, if you look at the look back at the WhatsApp group we were on, I think I did say I, I predicted a Saints victory. But, yeah, I think that was probably the most I've enjoyed slash been nervous about a football match probably since... Uh, the Swansea game, John, back uh, when we were saying the Lord fight. I mean, that that is interesting because effectively there was nothing, nothing on that game, was there? Already at forty points, Norwich, Villa, um, and Bournemouth are doing a really fantastic job of cutting themselves adrift from everyone else. There, there's no threat of relegation. There's no shame in losing to Man City <clears throat> yet. I think being ahead for all that time in the game just meant the the kind of the the anxiety and nerves were just dialed up you know every passing minute you cared more and more about the victory and it felt really really important by the end it felt fantastic yeah it did and also you felt for and this sounds um silly there was a lot of narratives wasn't there at play you know like football often does this if you if you look through the team you know you have a goalkeeper who in the last home game has made an awful, unnecessary error. You know, you have uh, a defender sent off and suspended in the in the previous game, you know, who people, you know, given an interview in the Guardian, Jack Stevens, and people weren't, you know, still maybe not 100% sold on him. You know, you've got Romeo, who's a bit of, you know, seen maybe as a bit of a, the old sort of car horse now compared to the sort of flashy, transition midfielders we have and then you've got Shea Adams who obviously you know hasn't been able to buy a goal and hasn't really even apart from you know the Norwich uh, apart from the Watford game come close so there was loads of individual stories and you almost you almost wanted things to hold on as much for the team but also for the individuals so they could sort of this sounds melodramatic like you know they could gain redemption yeah, and I think there was redemption all over the pitch. We, we'll go through the kind of match blow by blow because I think 
we've got to relive this. It was such a great victory. Um, so positive. I, I mean, I can't believe it. if you're looking at the last podcast we've put out. So we put out, obviously there was the one before the lockdown restarted. Then we put out a podcast after the Norwich victory. Um, we then put one out after the Watford victory. Thankfully, we kind of glossed over Arsenal because they managed to sneak two in. Then we've got one after the Man City. Next podcast after Man United and Everton. We'll, we'll get onto that soon. But I mean, it's it's so positive, Tom. Like every time we sit down and record this, or when Carl's on, it's it's all good. It's all really good. And um, yeah, yeah. And, and it's so good for Che Adams to get his goal. Carl called that in the last podcast. You called the Saints victory. There's optimism all over the place and. For once, it wasn't unfounded, you know, that we, we we beat Man City. And I think we did it really well as well. It wasn't, you know, it was a little bit like the Alamo at times, but it wasn't just a case of get a goal and park the bus. You know, we saw proper Ralph tactics and intelligence and um, you know, really intentional football basically got us the result. Yeah, and the stats kind of, in a weird way, they flatter Man City. And I think that was kind of obvious from what Pep Guardiola was saying. Yes, they had 26 shots on goal. Well, they had 26 shots. 11 of them were blocked. And if you really think about it, like, um, you know, McCarthy didn't make a worldly save, did he? I mean, they were pretty... The shots were kind of straight at him. Mm. Or they were blocked. And I think, yes, he made some very good saves. And, you know despite the best effort at the end where he came out for that cross. Uh, you know, but, but everything went right. And if you look at the way individual players, if you look at Carl Walker-Peters, you know, who hasn't maybe flourished for Saints, um, you know, playing up against, what, the best wide players on the planet in Sterling, Mares, you know, Cancelo. And he, he just was fantastic. He didn't put a foot wrong. And, yeah, so you, you wanted them to win because you want the team to win, but you also want the vindication. And I think for Ralph as well, it was an ultimate vindication of his style because if you go and try and play Man City at being Man City, you will lose, what, four, five, six nil? Well, how much you did know, Liverpool lose You know, the game before? You know, yeah, Liverpool, who up until that 3-0 against Watford were undefeated in the Premier League, looked totally unplayable. Um you know, and had it not been for a VAR decision, would have been would have been five now, and and that's what happens. You know, Man City can turn it on if you give them space, if you try and attack them like Liverpool did. You, 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 you look get at punished, the, can't you? Yeah, and you look at the players, John. I mean, like you know, we were we were talking, I think, on, on WhatsApp. You know, the the sort of the sort of like embarrassment of riches, how they've got. You know, they drop. I mean, like, Zinchenko's an interesting player because obviously we'll talk about the goal, but, like, I don't know if you know it's like, how good is Zinchenko's control? You know, they were fizzing those balls across the Zinchenko and every time just brings down perfectly. Maybe the first choice left back. You know, Canseo, how good was he? That's the, that's the guy they bring in when Carl Walker doesn't want to play. So, you know, Saints deserve, like, all credit and Ralph masterminded that. And, uh, you know, and I guess we should just, let's talk about it. Yeah. So, as Saints normally do at home, they had a really positive first 15 minutes. I think probably the best thing, the best chance in, in the 15 minutes was um, we, we got the ball and we got it down the, the right-hand side. It fell to Che Adams. 
<clears throat> and he uh, he really snatched at his shot. In fact, he snatched at it so bad he kind of shanked it to Redmond, and it yeah. looked, you know, more like a cross. Redmond, obviously, not expecting it, you wouldn't have passed it that hard, and he, and he just couldn't get it out of his feet to kind of get away a decent shot. But it was it was positive because the game started and it wasn't you know, all Man City chances. And actually Saints had the first kind of proper chance, I thought, with that kind of Che Adams chance. Um, yeah, he kind of shanked it, didn't he? Yeah, I, I think at that point, you know, that's that was a player who you know, has completed a big move to the Premier League, got 22 goals last season, has none this season. Um, you know, is getting a chance to start a game, I think, the first time since December, you know, it, it's a player who's got a lot of pressure, which he's put upon his own shoulders, I think. Cause that, yeah, I, I, and, and we're also replacing, you know, Shane Long, who scored goals over Premier who had scored goals, important goals. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not like he's there because there's nothing else, because there's no one else. No, no, uh, uh, absolutely. And so I was a little bit worried there because I think lots of us were hoping Shea Adams would get his first goal. I think many of us sensed that he was going to be given the start in that game. Um, and and then it happened, Tom. You know, we, we had Zinchenko... What a goal, John. ...taking his time on the ball. I think teams are going to quite quickly learn, don't take your time on the ball in, in your own half when you're playing against Southampton because Stuart Armstrong will be there or James Will-Prowse will be there or Romeo will be there. Um, Danny Ings. Yeah, you know, Danny like, Ings. I mean, D- Danny Ings is performing. We, we need to talk about that at some point but Stuart Armstrong robs the ball from Zinchenko he it kind of happens so quickly that he accidentally yeah. plays the perfect you know short through ball for Che Adams to run onto he sees Edison off his line and he, and he puts it in from 40 yards out and it, it was beautiful the curve on it was was absolutely lovely wasn't it you know beautiful curling right-footed strike right into the center of the goal um and you you could kind of tell that that was all very intentional. Saints had planned for that to happen. There, there, there was no kind of like moments of hesitation. Oh, the keeper's off his line. What do I do? It was like, I know the keeper's off his line. I'm going to put it in the goal. And and that's kind of what I was talking about, the, this Ralph tactical masterclass. And he talked about, the, the players talked about knowing that Edison was going to be off, line, off his line and knowing that they might have an opportunity to do that. And and it was taken beautifully, uh, and what a way for Chadams to get his first goal for for Saints in front of over well over five million people. Yeah, it was brilliant, and I think you're exactly right. It's this, the, isn't it? Refreshing to watch because I mean we we've had some donkey managers, and we we had you know Pelle, you know Pellegrino who was well out of his depth. We had Mark Hughes who was a a relic of a different era. Yeah, probably Claude Puel who you know. History will judge him probably more kindly than than Saints fans did at the time. But isn't it refreshing to have a manager who you believe has a system and has a way of beating the best teams? And and you're exactly right. And and that what's great about the goal as well is is I love the way that Shahedans kind of runs across the ball to hit it. You know, it's just such an instinctive thing because they've obviously been told like you can win this ball back in these parts of the pitch. And you feel you can get a shot away, get a shot away. And you're right, he, you know, he, he arrowed it, didn't he? It curled out and round and he, he kind of runs slightly, he kind of runs parallel to the ball. And it was just, 
and it all happened so quick. It was almost like one of those things you expected, like, the referee to blow up and say, oh, no, there's a foul there. Zinchenko. Which um, is just, just too good to be true. Moment. Yeah, because, you know, and, and also the guy, the guy you know, he's been given six this year, hasn't he? And I think there's been very few, I think he's played a kind of understated role. Like, if you look at the Chelsea away game, yeah, he didn't score, but he was vital in that game. And, and I thought it was, and also what was great, wasn't it? Brilliant reaction to his fellow Saints players who obviously wanted him to score so much. You know, who they, who they, you know, they wanted it more than him scoring that game more than anyone. And you could see how much it meant to him. And it was brilliant. I think it was a real, actually, quite like a romantic moment, probably the most sort of romantic moment in what's a tumultuous season for Saints. Um, yeah, and it was just brilliant. I mean, it's probably my favourite Saints goal since, um, do you remember Shane Long did a ridiculous kind of chip from a similar range against, I think it was against Sunderland or Aston Villa? I, I think it was uh, against Aston Villa in the game when Mane got his... Um... Yeah, it was. Cause, and no one remembers the sort of Shane Long winning the ball back and then tipping, <laughs> would it have been like Guzman or someone from like 40 yards? It was a brilliant goal, but this, yeah, this is a different gravy. And, and what's amazing? Is you just think of all the players he wouldn't have had the confidence. He's got the confidence because Ralph's got a system and they know if they play the system, they can win. And that's what it's all about. You just play the numbers. It was brilliant. It, it, it really was brilliant. And then uh, I suppose at this point we started to see Man City getting a bit more into gear. Um, you brought up Cancelo earlier, their second choice right back. I think he's the best right back we've come against this season. He was so good. It was causing a lot of yeah. trouble for Ryan Bertrand, who doesn't normally get really found out. But I, I kind of thought that out of everyone on the pitch, Ryan Bertrand was probably suffering the most with Man City because Cancelo was getting a lot of joy down down the right wing and overlapping and um, you know creating a lot of chances. That that started to be a bit worrying. I thought um, Kyle Walker-Peters was perhaps faring a little bit better on the right-hand side. I don't think Sterling was getting as much joy. Uh, I'm getting past Kyle Walker-Peters. But we did start to see some chances coming in. And, th- and there was that kind of scary few moments, Tom, where I, I messaged you and you were a bit worried because I was about 40 seconds ahead of you in watching... Um, <laughs> See, I, I was watching yeah. through the old method of a uh, television aerial, and I think you're watching on the on the internet. Um, yeah, watching now TV, yeah. Yeah, so so I had um, I was about forty seconds ahead of you, and I was like, "What is KWP doing?" That was, you know, following McCarthy made a save from Sterling. Kyle Walker Peters then clears it out right in front of goal along the floor, and it goes straight to Fernandinho, who strikes it back in and hits the post. And my God, we were lucky with this one because it hit the inside of the post but still went out. And then I think it was crossed back in and then McCarthy made a save from a, a silver header. So, you know, there, there's um, that that was a scary few moments, wasn't it? Yeah, I, th- I felt sorry for um, Walker-Peters because he did so well, didn't he, to win that ball back. And it was almost like, it was almost like he was so tired he just had to get it away but again like you know we get a bit of luck that ball you know earlier in the season that ball you know with the unlucky McCarthy would have probably bounced back off the post hit McCarthy in the back and gone over the line um it was again though you know it's just you know Saints have you have to have luck against teams like Man City and Liverpool 
you know, you're not going to beat them on playing their own game. You have to have a bit of luck. And it was, yeah, I was four seconds behind John. So when you texted me and said, why can't Walkfield on that? I, I, I was all okay. In the what, end. What, what were you but expecting, it, you know, John? Were you expecting like an own goal or something? Yeah, or, or a silly penalty. You know. The, but also, because if the, you look at that team, Sterling always does it against Saints. Do you remember a couple of years ago, John, Sterling scoring in the very last minute against Saints, I think, to win the game at Man City? That, I, I think that was, um, that was this season, wasn't it? No, this was a couple of years ago. Okay. He fought previous against Saints. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, but, most um, games against Man City, we seem to do quite well and be drawing into roughly about the 95th minute, at which point Man City then decide to get their, their winner. Yeah, it was in 2017, 96th minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but again, so, you know, Saints have weathered that. And a really good play, by the way, from McCarthy to push it out from the David Silver header. Yeah, well, I mean, that's one of the things that I wanted to bring up about McCarthy's performance as we go through is that often I think one of McCarthy's problems is that when he pushes the ball out after making a save, he doesn't get it away from danger. And then that's why we seem to concede quite a lot of goals from McCarthy parries. Um, and that wasn't so much the case today. I think he was getting the ball out you know, further than he normally does. And that gives you the opportunity to to regroup a little bit, and you know, and gives gives your defenders a chance to get in the way. Whereas if it you know, falls straight to a striker, you're in big trouble. Yeah, he just bought them. He bought them a few seconds when they needed it, um, and it was great. I think you know we won't talk about. I don't think we're probably going to talk about that because depth because enough people will do that. But yeah, it also in terms of the stars aligning. Can you imagine Aguero would have missed all those chances? You know, he wouldn't have done what he said, and I was thinking it's favour, but, you know, Jesus is no, is no much, but yeah, it was a, you know, I, I digress. It was a great save by McCarthy, getting it out. Yeah, it was something he's not really done too much this season, and, and just relieving the pressure. Yeah, and uh, and then it looked like we were going to have another chance, um, or we had another, we did have another good chance, when uh, Kyle Walker-Peters played a lovely chip-through ball to Danny Ings, which he ran onto, and and I think he's he's kind of unlucky here because he almost got too much on it. He threw his body at it and made too good a connection, which meant it, it went you know up over the bar. I think if he'd kind of scuffed it, there's quite a good chance that that goes past Edison and into the goal. Do yeah, you, you wanted one, him to almost toe poke it. Yeah. yeah, you wanted to almost toe poke it, don't you? But it's brilliant, and if you and you know also the composure of Carl Walker Peters is something we've not you know Valerie whatever reason has, has lost his way and, and um, you know Carl Walker is so composed and obviously you know if you're Danny Ings that's exactly what you want isn't it that long ball over the top which we've seen Stevens do you know coming from the right hand side playing over Danny Ings' right shoulder you know much like the goal against Spurs that Ings scored at St Mary's this, this year it's, it's a perfect ball for him he, he's like you say he's almost the connection is too good yeah, it's, it's a very tricky chance, so I'm not going to hold anything against Danny Ings here. But, you know, it, it was good to see us continuing to make chances. And I actually think at, at, in the halftime stats, um, we were quite well balanced on chances uh, for City and for, for Saints. So the, the second half was kind of a different ball game, really, um, when we saw Man City really ramp up the pressure. 
Uh, and we saw Saints kind of going deeper and deeper. And, and the frustration with this is when you start to see the likes of Redmond, Che Adams, Stuart Armstrong, they're all kind of like pinned back because Man City have got everyone forward and so you need everyone back. And it, it's very difficult at that point to then have an outlet you know, for, for the for the strikers or, or to, you know, to get the ball up to the strikers and try and get some position in, in Man City's half. But, and we did struggle with that. You know, we, we saw McCarthy making some more good saves. We, we, he made a save from uh, Jesus. He, he made another save from um, uh, Silva. Um, yeah, that was a brilliant bit of skill, wasn't it, to get through Stevens and Bednarek. But, you know, again, it wasn't as... It was a good start, but it wasn't a great finish, was it? No, no. And and, and you start to see Man City getting more and more desperate. And then I think what was quite interesting is he then takes off Sterling and Mares. I thought Mares was actually playing quite well for Man City at the time. I thought Sterling had been kept pretty quiet by Carl Walker-Peters. And then you look to the bench and you look at De Bruyne and Foden coming on and you just think, oh, God, this is not fair, is it? <laughs> You know, when you can bring those <laughs> to it off the bench. Because also, look at Saints bench. Who was on Saints bench? Shane Long? Yeah, we, we had Shane Long, uh, Obafemi, Smallbone. But I mean, I mean, apart from that, it was, you know, you were down to the kids, weren't we, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we don't have the depth of Man City. I don't think anyone expects us to either. But um, I think this was one of the, the things that I commented on in our first episode, Tom, when we were talking about the five substitutions rule. And that, you know, would this give the likes of Manchester City, who have such amazing squad depth, a totally unfair advantage? Because, you know, OK, well, if Sterling and Mahrez isn't working, let's throw on Phil Foden and, and Kevin De Bruyne, you know, arguably mm. the best football player on the planet and the best, you know, young English prospects uh, at the moment. And you can just bring them off the bench. And and the the, the funny thing is, though, I felt like after this, Saints got better and Man City yeah, they, they didn't quite keep up the same relentless pressure. I mean, we did see kind of um, Bernardo Silva having another chance, which was brilliantly blocked by Stevens. We saw Stevens and Bednarek, you know, making block after block after block and really getting in the way. But I never, I didn't really feel like Man City created really amazing chances after they came on. No, I mean, it was weird because De Bruyne was possibly, you know, it was the one time I've ever seen De Bruyne's rangefinder be off, wasn't it? Like mm. He didn't he very basic stuff he was getting wrong. Um, he he, he overhit an early that. long ball, didn't he? Yeah, which and he a, never does. Yeah, and I think it unsettled him because he did it again in a, in a crossfield ball, I think, to Zinchenko, maybe. And, 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 and I think, and Foden also, also I think, yeah, if you look like Mares and Sterling, particular they look to beat their man don't they every time they look to beat their man whereas Foden is a is a different type of more sort of clever player and I wonder if that suited Saints because it forced Man City to slow the game down mm. a little bit and you know again we mentioned earlier Romeo had a brilliant game brilliant game obviously got booked you know he did so well didn't he to, to you know get booked in the first half and then to to keep you know, to keep on the pitch against a team like that. Um, yeah, I, mean, you know, I think it kind of, it suited Saints when Man City wanted to slow the game down. 
Yeah, I I, I totally agree. Um, Hasenhutl was spitting feathers at the, at the point um, Romeo got booked. You know that he's not allowed to do that. He's not allowed to get booked in the first half. He's supposed to save that for the second half. <laughs> but you know, credit to him for managing to kind of you know, keep it together and not get another booking. Um, we 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 did see another good chance for Saints actually with where we did manage to kind of release the pressure for a few moments. Um, Shane Long managed to kind of carry the ball further uphill, uh, further uphill, further up the pitch, and then um, you know, create a chance for Armstrong. I think it bounced off Ings's feet and then fell to Armstrong. He hit it at the keeper. I don't think he quite got hold of it. Um, and then probably the next moment, which really scared me, was involving Armstrong again, which was where McCarthy had that flap. Yeah, which is exactly what McCarthy did um, the Etihad, isn't it? Yeah. To lose the game, was it? Was it Carl Walker or Gord? And you know, almost like a carbon copy. Um, but wasn't it great to see so many players like Ward Prowse, Bednarek, and uh, Stevens like throw themselves in front of the ball? Yeah. It was like a like a FA Cup final almost. Yeah, it it really was, and you know, I was very relieved when Armstrong's clearance. I don't know how intentional it was but went wide of the post rather than yeah. in the post. Um, and, and that was it really until the 96th minute when, was it Armstrong again? Gave away a free kick right on the yeah, edge of which, the box. Which was a free, it was a stupid free kick. Yeah. But again, like, to this, I watched the, the free kick De Bruyne scored against Chelsea and it was, it was a ridiculous wildcard free kick. But I imagine um, James Ward-Prowse aside, the further out it is, the closer it is, the harder, the harder they are to score. Um, well, I, I think this is interesting but because the, if you look at the free kick Ward Prowse takes against Watford, it's very, very difficult to get the ball up and over. But he took it from the spot where the foul was, was made. De Bruyne very cleverly takes the ball back a little bit further, I think, for this free kick. I think if you look where Armstrong made the foul, it's almost right on the edge of the box. And then when you look at De Bruyne takes the free kick, it's a good five, six yards back from, from the edge of the area. And, and I was quite surprised when he laid it down. I was like, oh, oh, actually, this looks like a better chance than I thought. And I actually wonder here if McCarthy does something very intelligent here because he doesn't go to one side of the goal. He doesn't invite De Bruyne to aim for a particular part of the goal. He, he stands mm. fairly central. And I don't know whether this is just because the free kick was more central, but it, it kind of looks like he placed his wall centrally and stood centrally. And I wonder if this just kind of threw De Bruyne a bit because you know when a keeper stands on the opposite side of the goal and they've got the wall protecting one side of the goal, you know if you can get it up and over the wall, you'll, you'll score a goal because yeah, the score. keeper's not going to get to it. But if the keeper's in the middle, you've got to hit it hard enough that he's not going to get to it, right? Because the keeper's not going to guess, like in a penalty. He, he's going to watch the ball and try and save it. So I wonder if that was quite intelligent or it might have just been De Bruyne was off, yeah. was off the boil a bit and, and just hit it straight at the wall. And then Shane Long gets fouled by De Bruyne and that's it. Yeah. When, uh, at what point did he start you know, pump, you know, fist pumping the air, Tom? Was it when De Bruyne missed the free kick or, or was it... Were you still anxious I, at that point? John, I mean, you and I have been supporting Saints for long enough to know that 
until the referee blows the whistle, nothing is done. And I, I was only there. And it was, yeah, it was just fantastic. You could feel that. The only sad thing was that the fans weren't in the stadium. You know, and you could feel the palpable relief, couldn't you? And you could feel the kind of, you know, it was, it was different to relief, isn't it? Because it wasn't to take us to 40 points. It wasn't to keep us up. It was like, it was like the system works. If we play the system, it works. It's like we didn't play the system against Arsenal and we lost. Yeah. You know, we did play it against Norwich. We did play it against we played it that one. And he has to now, you know, the, the players have to every time implement the system. If they implement the system, they, they, yeah, they can win. Yeah, and uh... You know, all credit to, to Ralph Hasenhutel here. I mean, what, what I found quite interesting is, um, I think just before the game, the BBC interviewed him and he, he gave an interview and he said, yeah, well, we're going to have to, you know, want it more than them. We're going to have to fight really hard. We're going to have to, you know, totally exploit all of the opportunities we get. We're going to need to be clinical. We're going to need to be you know, totally focused and we're going to need some good luck. And, and it was a very yeah. pragmatic way of looking at it. it. It wasn't like, you know, it's impossible to beat a team like Man City. It was, it is possible. These are all the things that we need to get right. And um, we're really excited at giving it a try and seeing if we're going to win. And, and he got it absolutely spot on. And, and I wonder if, you know, you've got someone out there who's sending out the players and not, not with false optimism, but, you know, there's a pragmatism that says, yeah, we're going to need to get a little bit lucky. Um, we're going to need to be clinical, but, you know, you guys, you can go out there and you can do it. And, you know, we actually have more opportunities to score. You know, it could have been 2-0. Um, you know, equally, it could have it been 2-1 right. to Man City. But, you know, that that was the way it worked on, on Sunday yeah, night. He, he, he was right. He didn't feel like we have to run harder. We have to run faster. We have to be more aggressive. And, and he's right. And I think... You know, what he isn't trying, what he isn't saying, that you're like you're saying, is like, we'll go and play, we'll go and be Man City Mark II, or we'll beat them that way. He's saying that, you know, he recognises the limitations of his players, which every coach probably in the Premier League, apart from Guardiola and Klopp, has to do. And he sets them out to beat, you know, you're right, probably what one of the top four or five football teams in the world. And, and in the end, you know, yeah, Man City had a lot of possessions, they always do. Yeah, Man City had a fair number of chances they always did, but it was, like you say, a pretty, if not comfortable, then a pretty, it was a well-managed win, wasn't it? Yeah. It, it, it was scary, it was frightening, it was nerve-wracking, and there had to be some fantastic individual performances across the pitch. But but the team performance was just so good. And you know, when a team yeah. plays that well together and shows that sort of resilience, you've, you've got to give some credit to the manager. You know that yeah. that that doesn't well, happen. Yeah, that, that that doesn't happen with a team that is unhappy with the manager. You know, that that was a that was a team really pulling together, and it felt like every single player had each other's backs. It looks like the team spirit in the squad is really amazing. And you referenced that when Chadham scored his goal and how how the players rallied around him. Um, and I think we've got that across the board. I think all of the um. All of the players were just totally bought in for this. There was nobody kind of there having an, in, an individual's game. 
um, everyone was was in it together. And Tom, you know, th- this is going to be a really hard question, but you know, who's your man of the match? Uh, Jack Stevens. Jack Stevens. I yeah. think because he he just he threw himself into everything, didn't he? He did brilliantly, like every single challenge. But yeah, and even when he had a bit of a yeah, there was one clearance, wasn't there, in the box that he kind of shanked, but he didn't sit on his ass and watch the ball fight. He was straight up again, you know, hands behind his back. I think the, I think the, the shot that came in subsequently, you know, hit his back and, and just went wide. You know, and I think it kind of summed up everything about Saints. They had to fight and they had to, you know, they had to give everything. And I think they, they left everything on the pitch. I don't think they could have given to a man anything more. I think, you know, other notable mentions, obviously, McCarthy, his distribution was so much better. Obviously, they've worked on that. Danny Ings, you know, fighting for everything. You know, isn't it amazing to watch Danny Ings? Like, you know, Danny Ings is essentially another defender. Mm. As well as yeah. being one of the most potent goal scorers in the whole division. Yeah. I mean, that clearance he did in that first half, you know, he doesn't get that over the, you know, he doesn't go for a corner, he gets that away. Yeah. You know, when it comes to, you know, and we saw him do it against Norwich. He, he gives the team so, so much. Um, I mean, the the, the work yeah. rate from Danny Ings was incredible. The work rate all across the pr- pitch was so good. Uh, I really liked it when James Will Prowse kind of did a fairly poor through ball and then ran onto it himself. Yeah, and made sure he put exactly it out for a right. throw in rather than giving Edison the chance to have a goal kick and 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 get his yeah you know, good distribution. You know, that's that was the level of dedication on the pitch, and I think there were nines and tens all over the place in this team. Um, I thought Alex McCarthy no was, w- w- was probably a nine out of ten. Um, I think the flap, you know, maybe costs him the ten out of ten. I thought Stevens was probably a ten out of ten. I thought Bednarek was a ten out of ten. I thought Danny Ings was a ten out of ten. I think Shea Adams was a good nine or eight out of ten. Carl Walker Peters again, had it not been for that clearance, would have been ten out of ten, but was probably a nine out of ten. James Will Prowse, I think you could say, was ten out of ten. I, I agree with you, Stevens, because I think. Whilst you have all those nines and tens, Stevens probably had the biggest influence on Saints' performance. Yeah, and also, look, you know, you have to, you know, the season has been going on a long time, but, um, you know, and, and we know that, you know, Saints fans chastise the BBC for constantly mentioning the 9 0, but you can't look at the result against Man City in isolation. And you have to look back October the 26th, Saints lose 9 0 at home, admittedly against a very good left. And everyone associated with the club should take credit for how they've done. You know, from the owners, who a lot of Saints fans aren't keen on, you know, sticking with Ralph, giving Ralph a four-year contract. And then Ralph almost, you know, working out that these are the players. You know, Stephen McCarthy, these are the players that are going to get him out of this situation. And then just religiously... um, Putting his faith in them, and if you look like there's players there like you know Benarek, Stephen Armstrong that have all that never were able to convince other Saints managers that you know, or never before were able to convince Saints managers that they were the answer. But now, if you look at Stevens and Benarek, they're the backbone of that team. Mm. It's really exciting. They're the kind of rock and the foundations, I suppose, that the rest of it is built upon. And Tom, I. 
you know, I think we've got to move on from the Man City game as you know, as much fun as it is to talk about it. And um, I think one of the positives was, oh my God, the Saints Twitter sphere, as you call it, was suddenly just everyone was joyous and people weren't arguing about politics or coronavirus or various other things. It was just like sheer elation across the whole the whole kind of Twitter timeline on my phone. So that was that was a nice relief as well. Tom, I'm gonna I'm gonna read you something like in the post lockdown table, and bearing in mind I haven't considered results tonight, Saints are fifth overall. That's that's quite impressive, isn't it? And we've now got also we've had so what we now four games in, um, three wins. You and know, you would have thought yeah. that you know, you'd have thought we would have. I mean, I think if you'd have said to any Saints fan, "Yeah, you'll take nine points from the first twelve available," they'd have snapped your hand off. Um, but the good thing is, you know, yeah, we've got some, we've got difficult games, but we've just done our hardest game. Yeah. Um, you know, we we now go into a a run of games. We've got two very difficult games, and then we've got three eminently winnable games. Well, so, I mean, Tom, the, the thing is, once you've beaten Man City, do you need to look at any game and think it's not, you know, they're all winnable, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, we're going to have problems stopping Man United scoring. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Like, you know, Man United, that, that front three with Fernandez that Man United got is a phenomenal group of players. But um, but why not? You know, we, we've been to Old Trafford before with one. And you, you, he'll be taking it, I imagine, you know, with cliche one game at a time. But, I mean, John, did you watch Everton last night? No, I didn't. Tell me, I Tom. Mean, they, you know, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because you can have all that money, you know, you can assemble that group of players, you know, Sigurdsson, you know, what's it, like 65 million pounds worth of player, who you end up playing on the left side of the midfield three. Tom Davies on the right, and they're kind of very out of place. Um, Bernardo, the name of the guy who just broke his ankle. Um, you know, in the middle, and Spurs are really, really poor. But just the what's fascinating about uh, Everton is the lack of intensity. Yeah. Um, and and you imagine that Saints players will be watching that game, thinking, oh, "Gosh, if we get if we get at Everton, you know, Everton don't have the, the crowd behind them. If they get at Everton." You know, Everton do look suspect at the back. Holgate went off injured and has been probably their best defender this year. Um, you know, there'd be no reason why, you know, Saints are, you know, among what, the top three or four teams in the league away from home. Um, if we win, we go above Everton. Yeah. Which is quite amazing, really, isn't it? I, I've got another league table to talk to you about in a bit. Um, it's not the Premier League table, but there's another one. But whilst we're talking about Everton, um, you know, I think we've touched on you. What can we expect from the Everton game away? It's on Thursday. Um, you know, th- there's a chance that some of the Saints players might be quite tired from Sunday because that was an epic performance. And I think you're right, n- not a single one of them you didn't leave every single you know, part of their body on that pitch. Um, but you, you've got to feel relatively confident. Everton, again, they've played... Um, yesterday, so in, in effect, they've had less rest, although they didn't have the same intensity yep. that Saints did. Um, Tom, here, here's a question for you. We've got a bit of a juju at, at Goodison Park, right? 
So not well, including the one there, John. well, not including the League Cup where we won on a penalty okay. shootout. Well, here's your guess. When when did you think we last won at Everton? I'm going to guess for something ridiculous like 1999, like Marion Parr scoring, something like insane like that. Yeah, you're not far off. 1997, we won 2-0 at Goodison Park, and the goal scorers were. Go on, so I want you to guess these. Tom, are you still there? Or are you still thinking? I'm still here. <laughs> oh, do you want me to guess? Yeah, I'll oh, okay. Guess. I'm 90, sorry, 97. I'm going to guess uh, Michael Spence and Hassan Cashville. No, it was Matthew Letissier and Kevin Davies. Was it the Wonder Goal that Kevin Davies was slalom through about five players? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, that that was the last Great time we won at Goodison Park. I um, mean, yeah, I mean, that. So what, that 23 years ago? Yeah. I mean, interestingly, my brother brought over the Nintendo 64 um, at the weekend. So I played that with my five-year-old for the first time. And, and you're just seeing the kind of like, you plug in the games and it's like, copyright, 1997. You're like, wow. So you know, when my brother and I were playing the N64, first playing when, when 3D games were a thing for the very first time, that was it. That was 1997. Um, another question I've got for you, Tom, on this in the preview for this game, we've already talked about the uh, awful Leicester game at home. Was the Everton at home almost the worst performance of the season or most depressing? I mean, I, I feel like we owe Everton a game of football because we definitely didn't give them a decent game of football at St Mary's before. I, I think we conceded more chances to Everton than we did against Leicester. Um, and although we only lost 2-1, it was pretty shambolic. I think um, Carl has said this, isn't he, that the, that the Everton game felt worse than the, the 9-0. Um, I, I would agree. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, you know, in, in all transparency, I never watched the 9-0. I've never seen all the goals. I was, I was at an event that night. I couldn't. But, you know, I watched the Everton game. And you, know, you lose 9-0 against a very talented attacking force that is left, so that's one thing. I mean, Everton were as bad as Saints were at that point, yeah. weren't they? And that was what, and, and it was the lack of, but also it was the lack of fight, wasn't it? Because you were like, right, you can turn the train, you can beat Everton and put the 9-0 behind you. But it was it was the lack of fight and the lack of um, passion. And that, to me, was when I thought, oh, God, you know what, they, they, they've got to go down. Cause they're not fighting. You know, you can understand, you know, giving up against a, a lesser team that are killing you, but they've given up against Everton before kickoff. Yeah. And, and Tom, so I've got, Another interesting league table for you, which is the league table from since the last time we played Everton. So 21 games have played since then. We had the um, the November international break. Then we came back and we drew with Arsenal at the Emirates, and yeah. then we had the win against Watford. Where do you where do you where do you expect us to be in the post November league table? European qualification, I'd say, top six. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely spot on. We're fifth in the division since uh, in the last 21 games. So since, since that Everton game, we've won 11 matches, two draws and eight losses. We've got a positive goal difference and 35 points. I mean, if we had 35 points after 21 games in any season, we'd be you know, delighted. You know, that, that would be a team that you'd be starting to think has got a good chance of you know, certainly securing Europa League. And, yeah, you'd be you know, playing in the European holder, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that puts us in form, you know, above Leicester, above Arsenal, 
above Chelsea, above Tottenham Hotspur, above Sheffield United. Um, and and the, the only, you know, one point behind Wolverhampton Wanderers, four behind Man United, then you've obviously got Man City and Liverpool a little bit further ahead. So, I mean, that's that's really impressive since that game against Everton. And that's why I think it's so important that we give Everton a really good game. We've got to show them how much we've improved since then. Yeah, and also we have to think as well, like, you know, this is a very odd season, isn't it, with, with the Man City suspension from Europe hanging over them. Um, you know, people are talking about eight being good enough for Europe. Now, like, we're five points off eight. And I know we've got, you know, a very hard game at Man United, but we've got five games left, John. And you can honestly say that if Saints took 12 points from 15, it wouldn't be surprising, you know, Bournemouth looked horrid. Um, Brighton have got nothing to play for. Um, you know, Sheffield United, it's interesting, Sheffield United, as well as they've done, that goal they scored against Aston Villa, I think I might have said on match today, it's the first away goal they've scored since, since February. All right, not many games have been played, but they've not been smashing it away from home. And, you know, it could come down mm. to that game. You know, it could come down to... You know, it might not be finishing eighth, but finishing ninth. And what's that worth? Isn't it just played to us on like three and a half million pounds? Yeah. I mean, I so think, like 15 I think million pounds right there. If we're going to start looking up the table, which I think is a fair, en- fair enough assumption for us to do, seeing as we've won three out of our last four games, um, Everton don't look up to too much. Obviously, we'll find out on Thursday what that translates to in, in terms of a game. Um, you're right about Sheffield United. They seem to be dropping a bit. Tottenham, yeah, I wouldn't say that the five points between us and Tottenham is impossible to make up because Tottenham don't look all that either. But you did, I mean, Burnley and Newcastle are actually looking quite good, aren't they, post lockdown? Yeah. I mean, yeah, and that's the thing. The games we've got to play, we can, yeah, we can get we can get points. The only one you'd say we might not is Man United. Even that, it's away from home, John. Where we're there. Yeah. And and also like, you know, they're gonna if they can get a result at Everton, they're gonna fly into Man United, aren't they? Oh yes, yeah. Absolutely. Um and it, it's exciting. Yeah. yeah. I mean it would be nice yeah, to give Man United their first defeat of the um post lockdown Premier League table. Yeah, I mean, they've got, just got such good strikers. You, you could say the same thing about Man City. You know, Man City had, you know, Saints held out there against Hazel Shalat, who's having a very difficult run in the Premier League, but still sort of like 20 odd goals this season. You know, Mare, Sterling, De Bruyne, and Foden. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, quiet. I mean, you know, you can keep Greenwood, you can keep Rashford, you can keep Martial, and you can keep Fernandez quiet. Well, I mean, and what I think is so funny about this is just you wouldn't. You wouldn't have expected it, you know. Pe- people don't cut um, Solskjaer an awful lot of slack, and I think a lot of people were questioning how, how good he was. But actually, that game is certainly looking like the most challenging one, and Manchester United certainly are the, the form team at the moment. They've won three out of their four matches, drawn the other one. Um, it's, it's not impossible, but, you know, it, it's going to be tough. Yeah. Also, did you see that uh, Fernandez is promoting the Premier League uh, beat the team of the season, although he started five games. That if you just want to work out where you know 
biases and the big club bias. Oh, and also this week, Garth Crooks put um, Allison in his team of the week and not McCarthy. Because he was talking about a save that Allison made in injury time against the National Villa team that was 2 0 down, saying that he never loses his concentration. But it was mad. Um, yeah, I. I'd kind of forgotten about Garth Garth Crooks. What was yeah, it's exciting, Jonathan. What was his um his player rating before that just baffled us? Oh, I think it was Lamina, wasn't it? He said he was brilliant, didn't he? And that he was just the sort of player that Arsenal should be signing. I think was yeah, you know, um, well, it was clearly you know, the first time we watched him. Over overpaid sort of show pony that have questionable criminal issues does seem to fit the bill for us. Um, <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, also like let, give credit Ralph managing the squad as well because he has clearly shipped out players that you know don't buy into his way of doing it. You know, or that aren't good enough. You know, he needs the um, the Laminas, and you know, he's talking about getting Forster back, which would be fascinating. What um, well, I mean, that's and, that's another thing that I wanted to talk to you about, um, Tom, because. That's quite, in terms of the off-the-field stuff, I think Fraser Forster saying that he wants to leave Celtic again, come back and fight for his position is, is one of the the most interesting kind of stories around Saints at the moment. I mean, wh- what do you make of that? Well, I was at the Olympic Stadium for what I think was Forster's last game for Saints, um, which was, I think, a 3-0 defeat against West Ham. He looked at his shadow of his former self, and I was also at the Burnley game when Forster got injured at yeah. St Mary's, and he got right in front of us. And you know, you can't help but link the two because before that he was imperious, wasn't he? He was brilliant, best probably best goalkeeper Saints had since Bowles. And then um, he just totally lost his way. You know, there's various. You know, did he lose it kind of in the head? Or was it like a lot of people pointed out how big he'd got? Yeah, he was huge. Yeah, he's a big guy anyway, but like he's almost like a rugby centre. Mm. Well, is that the right? Is that the right shape for a goalkeeper? But obviously, um, yeah, he's gone for Celtic. He's got all his confidence back. He's won a load of things, and he's not going to. He's not become a bad goalkeeper. He's not forgotten how to be a goalkeeper. Everything is there. It's just mental, isn't it? It's just yeah. And if you think about it, right? Saints have got a few redemption players. I think like players like Stephen. Ings is another one, you know, two significant injuries coming back. You know, why can't force to be the next one? And I think, you know, as impressive as McCarthy was against Arsenal, there is still a question mark there, isn't there? There is a kind of, he does make errors that lead to, as goalkeepers do, if they make errors generally, they lead to goals. And, yeah, I, mean, um, I, I think if we, if we go back through kind of great goalkeeping performances by Saints keepers, I don't think McCarthy's one at the weekend probably reaches the top five of perhaps you know the last ten seasons. It, the the one which really stands out for me is the game at the Emirates where Fraser Forster made about fifteen saves in in the space of of one match. Um, Kelvin Davis against Leeds United in the Championship Kelvin Davis Racing Leeds season. Is, yeah, I mean that's the one that everyone remembers. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, as great a game as McCarthy had on uh, on Sunday evening, a 
and he did have a really good game. You know, the shots were straight at him, whereas the ridiculous nasty saves that um, that Calvin Davis did against uh, against Leeds were kind of out of the world. I think Forster against Arsenal was the same. So, yeah, but also you, you need to have at this level, you need to have two quality goalkeepers, don't you? And obviously, I mean, you know, the rumours are true. Um, he's lost his faith in Angus Gunn. It seems pretty tough, doesn't it? It seems pretty brutal, but I think Ralph is a brutal manager. You know, I don't think he gives time to people that he doesn't, can't believe in. And I think maybe the gun is just not worked out. I mean, one of the quite sensible suggestions that people had is the gun should go on loan to Celtic. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I could see it. I mean, I was thinking, you know, maybe loan gun out to a championship side, but Celtic would, would be fine. I think. Um, well, and, and then have Fraser Forster and McCarthy fight it over the number one spot. Yeah. Which, I mean, which, which, which could be good for both I mean, of them, couldn't it? I mean, the, the risk yeah. is, is if you do a kind of a loan swap, as it were, you bring Forster back and loan gun you know, back to Celtic. What if Fraser Forster kind of loses it all again? And then you bring McCarthy. Uh, yeah. So you gotta have you gotta have two and and you know, well we definitely can't have a three. So something, you know, something has got to give and you've got to think it looks like it's gonna be Angus Gunn, who, you know, sadly will be a if he does go will be a pub quiz answer, you know, as, as the keeper that was in goal for that game. Um but you know, it, it'll be tough on Gunn. I I'd be surprised because yeah, you know, he's young, isn't he, for a keeper? What is he, like 24? 23? Yeah. And, and it would seem a bit weird to sign a keeper for a lot of money, that a lot of people raise, and then bid him off after not many games. Um, but, you know, you think the smart move to do would be to, to, to send him out on loan. And then, it, you know, again, that depends on how much the club rate Harry Lewis. Maybe Harry Lewis is seen to be a yeah, perfectly good third choice goalkeeper. Yeah, I mean, I I think Harry Lewis and Angus Gunn have quite a lot of similarities, and I think that was it's it, it's one of those things, isn't it? I think maybe Ralph Hasenhutl, when he started out, thought, "Yes, I need a a football playing goalkeeper, like a goalkeeper who can do what Edison does." Or, um, yeah, I mean, do, do you remember when Pep Guardiola first came to England, and it, was it Claudio Bravo who he had in goal? For the first season, he just wasn't good enough. Like he was good with the ball, but the Premier League is relentless enough that you need someone who's a really good shot stopper as well. And you know now he's got Edison, who's who's good at both. Um, and I wonder if kind of maybe Ralph's preconceptions have been found out there. And and you know Gunn was supposed to be the yeah you know, the ball playing goalkeeper, which What's McCarthy is of like a got like a name isn't it it's like the sweeper goalkeeper thing well I, I mean Ralph called um, Edison a lib- libero or a libero libero that's yeah. it yeah libero yeah which I guess means more like three or something um, yeah I, I just think a libero is um, a sweeper isn't it maybe yeah yeah I mean it is it, I guess is why like we have to be realistic uh, you know the performances of um Stevens and Benrack, as good as they are, we're still pretty shonky at the back yeah. a lot of the time. So maybe we just need someone who's a really good shot stopper 
rather than um, a really good yeah, ball rather, player, rather than a kind of ball player. Because, um, because Jack Stevens think, can play the ball, can't he? Yeah, and also isn't our, our style is to we're actually better without the ball, mm. aren't we? You know, we're much more effective giving the ball to the opposition, and, and then as we did against Man City, winning it in their half. Um, so I don't. It'd be fascinating. It, it was it really. It's just like a great subplot of Saint Stephen is the return of, of Fraser Forster. I imagine he's probably got still a couple of years left on his very expensive contract. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, he's certainly well paid as well. So if he can well, come back account, and, and, and get back to his yeah his level, then that would be really good. Well, by all accounts, he was the the highest paid player at Saint. Yeah, I'd, I'd heard that before as well. Um, so, whether he still is, I mean, I imagine Danny Ings is probably on a pretty penny. Um, yeah, and, and that's, you know, another subplot, I don't want to thrill on about it, but Pierre Hoiberg. Well, I, I mean, I think he's just gone now, isn't he? That's it. I think we can forget all about Pierre Hoiberg. But the funny thing is, isn't it, right, we're going to go and play Everton and um, you know, if you look at the table, I know that like it's been a bad season for Spurs, but you know the two clubs, right? Everton forty-eight points, Saints forty-three. Uh, sorry, Tottenham forty-eight, Everton forty-four, Saints forty-three. Saints winning on Thursday, not unrealistic, you know, because there's two points above Everton, because there's just two points behind Tottenham. You know, like he's not going to win anything at either of those clubs, is he? I mean, yeah, he'll play for a great manager in Ancelotti and he'll play for a, a famous manager in Mourinho, but he ain't going to win anything. Yes, he'll go his way, he'll double his wages. I mean, what's he on out? So 60k a week, he'll go to 120. Happy days. But, like, just a funny mentality, isn't it? Uh, it's all about the money, though, Tom, isn't it? Yeah, I know. Let's, let's, let's face it. Um... It's kind of the same with, I mean, we had the same discussion when Ronald Koeman left. Um, and we thought, you know, why why is Ronald Koeman leaving for Everton? Saints have finished higher than Everton. You know, Saints are better than Everton. Um, but Everton have the budget that, that we don't have. Um, yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, Hoiberg will be paid a pretty penny if he goes there. Uh, Tottenham are always kind of said to not have all this much money, but I think it's quite clear that they do have certainly more wealth than Saints and will certainly be able to pay kind of Hoiberg more than um, than Saints will. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to go and play for Tottenham with um, Jose Mourinho in charge. Bloody hell. He does not look like yeah, a fun so character to work for. No. I mean, you know, he's poisonous and he's, he's you know, done exactly what everyone predicted he would do, which is not my fault. It's the player's fault. And they don't look happy as a football club. They need complete I don't know, it's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, Saints are a project, aren't they? I know every team's a project, but Saints does, you know, with a manager, an exciting manager, coming into the peak of his career, he's committed his long term future to the club, that has a progressive, forward thinking way of playing football. So you imagine, as a footballer, he's actually quite an exciting type of football to play, um, compared to the other two, who just look, but then you're right. I mean, they, if you, you know, John, you have a wonderful job, but if someone said to you, you should spend like, you know, go to this university just down the road and pay twice as much money, you'd probably take it. 
Well, I mean, uh, funny enough to admit, that, that exact thing has happened to me, and I didn't take it. But you know, there are times when I look at that and think, <laughs> oh, you know, you're a better man at piano. Uh, the electricity bills are a bit big. I kind of wish I had a lot more money. But um, anyway, yeah, you know, I I was interested in the project. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. And and yeah, you know, that probably makes me a little bit odd. Um, but you know, I think there are Saints players there. I think there's players like Ings who could easily get a transfer if you requested one now i mean pe people would bite your hands off for danny ings now but i think he's excited by the project and yeah it's when people talk about ings for england and, and, and i think it's quite an interesting thing because you look at ings and what he does for southampton and it's quite a unique job which he seems to be absolutely perfectly suited for you know it's everything Danny Ings is doing everything on the pitch he's defending he's attacking he's pressing and it's not a traditional center forward role that he's fulfilling yet he's getting loads of goals he's creating loads of chances for himself and I think he just works brilliantly in Ralph's system and and, and he just looks to be really enjoying it um yeah it's a yeah. shame that Hoiberg isn't getting that same level of enjoyment that, that lots of the other players are are getting but I think it's a good thing that James Ward-Prowse is now the captain I think out of all the players you know, Warprouse and Stevens have, m and probably Bednarek as well, have made the biggest step up um, since, and, and Ings, actually. In arms. Actually, you start to look across the whole squad and you realise that Ralph Hasselhoesel is improving players in a lot of positions. Um, yeah. And, you know. You're right. I mean, if you, if you think like Bednarek, Bednarek didn't, did he not even get, he didn't get any minutes, did he, on the mark view? I, I I can't remember exactly. I mean, he showed some promise against um, with Pellegrino, didn't he? And then he had a pretty good yeah. World Cup. Um, but I don't think he could get near the team on the Hughes. No. Do you remember um, Hughes described our defence as milky? No, I don't remember that. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you look at that and you look at the defensive performance they put in against Man City and you think he described our defence as a bit milky. Well, what does he even I mean, mean with that, Tom? It's just ridiculous. The left said about, um, the left said about, uh, yeah, Mark Hughes. I mean, Ma Ma Mark Hughes did a job, didn't he? He kept us in the league with a very, yeah, in with a good amount of fortune. Um, and we should have said thank you at that point, and it would have been fine. And we wouldn't have to joke about Mark Hughes. We say, yeah, he did a great job for us, but I'm really glad we've now got this manager in. Um, but yeah, Ralph is leagues above isn't he we we love Ralph and I think that you know what's interesting for Saints is kind of four-year contract um if you're someone like Daniel Levy you know and you've got a very tricky curmudgeonly miserable Jose Reno there you know, would you be looking at someone like Ralph you probably would you know you'd be looking at someone like Ralph who can kind of galvanize in this group but also bring your players through in in Saints' favour is that they're paying quite a lot of money for Ralph, and also you know more importantly for, for Spurs, they'd have to pay Jose Mourinho a lot more money just to, to get buy rid of his contract. Um, so yeah, so it's frustrating, but Ralph seems you know Ralph seems, Ralph seems to be there for the long term, and I I'm really excited about it. I do can't remember being more excited about Saints team probably you know definitely since the the Cumin. Times, you know, it's, it's the best time to be a Saints fan for a long time. 
Yeah, abs- absolutely. Tom, I've realised we've now slipped over the hour mark, which is oh, um, yeah, it's probably challenging even our strongest fans to listen to us for this long. But we had to talk about <laughs> the, the game against um, Man City for so long because it was so good. Um, so, listeners, I hope that you've uh, enjoyed nearly all of mine and Tom's kind of thoughts on Saints and our reliving of the match against Man City. Um, we certainly enjoy sharing and in the delight uh, of many and loads of um, people on Twitter getting in contact with me after the game and, you know, really great to see that enthusiasm across the board. If you want to get in contact and you want us to answer a question or talk about a particular topic for the next episode, um, you can do that, saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com. I think during this kind of post, this like lockdown football, we're probably needing to put the, the podcast out one a week anyway. So we'll get onto it quickly, probably after the Man United game. Send it in or you can tweet us. Tom, it's been a pleasure speaking to you again. And uh, I, I, hope, me, I hope you have a lovely rest of the week and especially a good Thursday and an especially good Monday night next week. Um, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you following that brilliant right look forward to it cheery everyone let's hear the real Saints fans in um, St. Mary's kind of sing us out